Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, July 29th, 2021. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show, broadcasting live from Austin, Texas. Glad to be here. Glad to have you along for the ride. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday. Many ways to listen live across our great affiliates. Streaming, Fox Nation, the app, odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y, odyssey.com, and on and on it goes. We love when you listen live. If you can't, the podcast is free if you miss any part of the show. It's on demand, no charge, seven days a week, including Bonus Benson on the weekends. GuyBensonShow.com, that's our website. FoxNewsPodcast.com as well for the free podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. We are free. Now, on today's show, here's what we've got for you. Mark Thiessen, columnist commentator, former presidential speechwriter. He will be here on a host of issues of what's going on in Washington, D.C., CDC guidance, the battle on Capitol Hill over spending. We'll talk to Mark about all of that. Dr. Nicole Sapphire will be here. She and I were on the outnumbered virtual couch together today. I co-hosted that show from Austin, had some fun, talked, of course, about serious matters like COVID, which we'll get to here in a second, and then very not serious matters such as what I might look like with long hair. That was actually a thing on national television. I tweeted <laughs> I tweeted the Photoshop that they did. So that was fun. Also, Kat Timpf in our happy hour, our final hour, 5 p.m. Eastern. She will join us to round out the program. Let's bring you a Fox News alert. Here are the stats. Coronavirus cases cumulatively in the United States since the beginning of the pandemic, 34.8 million. The death toll in America, 612,098. The Dow down 114 points to 34,969. I feel like almost all week, if I'm not mistaken, we have begun the program each and every day talking about coronavirus. And we talked about the CDC guidance a few days ago. We talked about the D.C. mask mandates yesterday. And today... I want to talk about the absolutely confusing and baffling messaging that's coming out from the public health establishment, from elected officials, to the American people. And it is extremely difficult to follow, even as someone who tries to follow this stuff very closely on a daily basis. And I do look forward to chatting with Dr. Sapphire a bit later on this stuff. But for example... It does not help when the president of the United States, he held a press conference yesterday, when he denies saying things that he has absolutely said. So, for instance, and I tweeted, I mean, it's just like the easiest fact check ever. 
Peter Ducey, our colleague who was on the show a few days ago, he asked the president about a statement he had made back in May, which was that if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And Biden initially reflexively denied having said it, except he absolutely did. Here's what that exchange sounded like yesterday. Cut to. Mr. President, you said if you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. And it seems no, I didn't say that. You did. I had to say if you're fully vaccinated in an area where you do not have... Well, let me clarify. In May, you made it sound like vaccine was the ticket to losing the mask forever. Okay, so see, he ends up... He ends up clarifying it's not the best audio because it was when he was walking out. You know, he wasn't at the microphone. But Ducey says, you said if you are fully vaccinated, you no longer have to wear a mask. And Biden says, I didn't say that. Well, here's cut 29. Here's Biden in May. If you've been fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Let me repeat. If you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Okay, that's it. (laughs) Like, he goes on for a little while. He said it. He repeated it. If you're fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Now, Biden, as you heard in that clip from yesterday, he went on to clarify, well, things have changed. Of course, Delta, I think, is what he's referring to, obviously. But it is, I think, unhelpful to credibility when you deny having said something that you not only said, you said with great fanfare. You emphasized it. You repeated for that emphasis. No, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. Saying, well, things changed. It's not the same anymore. Okay, I mean, we can have that debate about whether things should change, whether you should require vaccinated people to wear masks. But I think what we just heard there, that juxtaposition, is one of many examples of utterly confounding and confusing muddled messages. Here's another example. This was Vivek Murthy, who's the Surgeon General. He went on TV, and, I mean, it sounds like, you um, you listen, right? It sounds like he is saying that parents with children who are too young to be vaccinated at home should wear masks at home and should also wear masks outside, you listen and you draw a conclusion, cut 12. For example, if you happen to have a lot of interaction with folks who are unvaccinated, let's say you're a parent like me who has young children at home who are not vaccinated, that's a circumstance where being extra cautious and wearing that mask, uh, even if you are fully vaccinated, uh, wearing it outside when you're in indoor public locations is an extra step to protecting those at home. So he talks about parents at home being extra cautious and wearing a mask if they have young children. Then he also mentioned doing so if you're outside, and then he said indoors. I watched it two or three times, that clip. And I was trying to sort of comprehend what his actual message was, and I was struggling. Right? Like you're, you're trying to divine what this man is trying to tell us, because I know that the Republican Party shared the clip saying the Surgeon General in the Biden administration is now telling parents to wear masks inside their own homes with their kids and also outdoors. And listening to the clip that I just played you, I mean, there is an argument that that is exactly what he said. 
There's also an argument that he sort of made a hash of it, and he didn't mean to say or imply heavily that you should do it in your house, or that he said outdoors, but then he corrected to indoors. But I, I don't know. That's the point. And if you have top public health officials going on national television telling parents, or at least appearing to tell parents, that they might want to wear masks inside their own homes to protect their children and also to do so outdoors, that makes no sense. And people are going to ignore that. And people are going to stop listening to these people. They're going to stop assigning credibility to people who make or sound like they're making such outlandish claims. We didn't have parents wearing masks indoors with their kids during the height of the pandemic, when things were the worst, before we had vaccines. That was not a thing people were doing or were encouraged to do. Why would we do it now? Outdoors is a very safe place to be. Like, if you're going to be indoors or outdoors, being outside with COVID, it's like the safest. Why would you recommend wearing it outdoors? Why are we talking about young children? Young children overwhelmingly are safe. And I had a lot of people mad at me on Twitter yesterday because I talked about no-risk children. Like, oh, Dr. Benson, tell us more about this no-risk to kids. Look, of course there are infections among kids. There are very, very, very rare cases where kids get sick enough to go to the hospital with COVID. Exceptionally rare. And as we've said repeatedly now, over the course of a a year-and-a-half pandemic in which tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people have gotten COVID, there are 75 million people under the age of 18 in America. Of the 75 million, 337 died with COVID. Not even sure if they died from COVID. And all of them, virtually all of them, had very serious comorbidities. Which is not to diminish the horrific tragedy of a child dying from anything, let alone COVID. But if we're talking about a few hundred max out of 75 million, statistically that is close to zero risk. It just is. And we have the CDC director herself, Rochelle Walensky, confirm as much about the Delta variant not being newly dangerous to children in a CNN interview just yesterday. We played you the clip. That's the CDC director saying that, who's been rather alarmist in other ways, I think problematic ways in the recent and moderate past, was able to affirm and reconfirm that reality about children, which is a good reality. But people will jump down your throat and get all over your case when you simply tell the truth about assessing risk and shaping public policy. That's been one of my huge frustrations throughout this, and it feels like this week in particular it's been, I mean, like almost unbearable. The degree to which everything's been mixed up and turned on its head with hyperventilation, misrepresentations, rumors, speculation, and some of that making its way into public health policy. By the way, Dr. Walensky, I will point out, will be joining special report tonight with Brett Baer. That's a must-see interview as far as I'm concerned. 6 p.m. Eastern Time Hour on the Fox News Channel. I would imagine some news might be made there. 
Now, what we're starting to see, because we, we went off on the D.C. guidance yesterday, now the D.C. mandate, one thing, one of the details of the D.C. mandate that we didn't mention at the time was apparently the mayor, Muriel Bowser, at least the initial draft suggests that they're going to exempt restaurants. So if you're at a gym or at the office, there's a mask mandate. But if you're at a restaurant, there's no mask mandate. I, if you can explain scientifically why that makes any sense, right? they're not going to do caps on people in a bar or a restaurant. right? They're not going to limit, apparently in this order, the number of people who can pack into a restaurant or a bar. They're going to potentially exempt restaurants and bars from the mask mandate. How is that science? How does that apply to any reality? And part of the the concern for me, what I wonder about is, does logic or reality dictate any of these decisions? Now, there was a Washington Post story that came out last night that said the CDC in these internal documents with internal slides suggest, based on some of their data, the war has changed against COVID. With the Delta variant, it's much more contagious. We know that, but it might be a more serious illness as well. It's spreading extremely fast. Right? You've seen a lot of that. The New York Times had a story about it as well. I saw ABC News rather has a headline. New York Times had this tweet. Breaking news. The Delta variant may be spread by vaccinated people as easily as the unvaccinated an internal CDC report said. Which does seem concerning. It's like, wait, hang on. Vaccinated people can spread the virus as much as unvaccinated people? That seems like that is alarming. Does that mean the vaccines don't work? I mean, I guess it protects you against hospitalization or death or severe cases. That's good, but does it really protect other people? Is that the justification for putting masks on fully vaccinated people, except the way that it was framed in that New York Times tweet, the way that it was framed in the ABC headline, the way that a lot of journalists, I think, are just accidentally or mistakenly reporting it, it's not correct. Nate Silver from 538, among many people fact-checking this and criticizing the media for representing it incorrectly, Silver writes, the news is not that vaccinated people easily spread the Delta variant. That reflects a gross uh, misunderstanding and misrepresentation of the CDC's evidence, abetted by imprecise and innumerate media coverage. He says vaccinated people are much less likely to become infected with COVID. Conditional upon becoming infected, there is some evidence to suggest that they carry similar viral loads to the unvaccinated. But this evidence is quite uncertain, and viral loads do not necessarily equate one-to-one to to transmission. Then he was also critical of uh, this one outlier event in Provincetown and Cape Cod, a big outbreak there, including among vaccinated people. It's an outlier event. It looks like they might be extrapolating from this event in a way that may not be accurate or fair. I will note that of that huge outbreak of hundreds of cases, including among vaccinated people, there were only a tiny handful of hospitalizations and zero deaths, which again underscores that the vaccines work. But some of the headlines that you might be seeing is vaccinated and unvaccinated people, they spread the virus, the transmission, the viral load is the same. No. 
It is among the people who may have breakthrough infections who are fully vaccinated. That viral load from those people may be similar or resemble that that we would get from unvaccinated people. But that's a small number. That's a small fraction of the vaccinated because the vaccines prevent to a large extent people from getting infected in the first place. So you're, you're, it's like a small subsection of the vaccinated for whom this might be true. And it's being broadly applied in a way that is not accurate. Because even from the CDC's own data, breakthrough infections are still quite rare, which is good news. But it's being, it's being twisted. I don't think this is even malicious. I just think it's people leaping to this hyperbolic conclusion based on data that they have misread from the CDC. We got a break. I'll be right back. We're just getting started. It's the Friday edition of the Guy Benson Show from Austin, Texas. Stay tuned. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. A few more thoughts here. I want to play another soundbite from Biden yesterday, and this is good. This is positive news. In cut 11, listen here. Our experts tell me the cases will go up further before they start to come back down. But while cases are on the rise, they're not, we're not likely to see, according to experts, a comparable rise in hospitalizations or deaths in most areas of the country. So you have to ask yourself, why is that? <clears throat> because 164 million Americans are fully vaccinated including 80% of the most vulnerable, are seniors. Yeah. I mean, this is good news. The vaccines are working. We've decoupled hospitalizations and deaths to a large degree from rising cases because of the vaccines and natural immunity. So to undermine the vaccines in any way, to disincentivize getting vaccinated, which is job number one, task number one is to get unvaccinated people into the vaccinated camp. To undermine that through focusing on vaccinated people and new mask mandates or children, it's missing the boat. It's missing the point. Also, with the Delta variant, yes, this same Delta variant, it went way up in cases in India. It was a disaster. In the UK, went way up. Now those cases have plummeted in both of those countries. And deaths and hospitalizations in the U.K. weren't that bad in the Delta wave because of the vaccines. It's the same pattern, we hope, here in the U.S. We'll be right back. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
The Guy Benson Show. We are back. We are live from Austin, Texas on this Friday. Glad to have you here. Glad to have Mark Thiessen joining us. He's a columnist in the Washington Post, Fox News contributor, fellow at AEI, co-host of the podcast, What the Hell is Going On? That's a question that seems to be appropriate at all times uh, these days. He also is a presidential speechwriter for George W. Bush. And Mark, it's great to have you back here. Great to be back on with you. Mark, what the hell is going on with the vaccines and the CDC and the guidance and the masks and the children? I mean, it's it is a blizzard of confusion. It seems like people are making decisions that are certainly flummoxing to me and not really explaining them in ways that are uh, convincing or terribly persuasive. And. I can understand a lot of people throwing up their hands and saying, I just, I'm done with all of this stuff. How are you feeling about the state of play right now? Well, first of all, do you remember when Pete, when they left was all saying how Donald Trump was politicizing uh, COVID and that we could no longer trust our public health officials because of the politicization in the Trump administration? Well, I mean, they've done more damage in the last few weeks to the American people's trust in the CDC and public health than all four years of the Trump administration might have done. I mean, it's absurd. For one thing, the idea that that vaccinated people have to wear masks or that, I mean, I'll give you, just, let's just look at the border, for example. There's so many areas we could go to, it's unbelievable. But like, so in Canada, the Biden administration just barred for another month fully vaccinated Canadians from entering into the country, right? But they're letting COVID positive people come in on the southern border and they're sending right. them out to the Illegally. Community. Illegally. So, like, if you enter the, if you try to enter the country legally from the northern border, you can't get as in. a vaccinated person, American, a, vaccinated a vaccinated legal person, person right? Who's who's, who's coming in legally, <laughs> and and from Europe too. Vaccinated legal legally, those travel the Trump travel bans have just been extended. Remember when those were, uh, you know, jingoism or whatever they, whatever the Biden called them. You know, those have right. just been xenophobia. extended by the Biden administration too. But xenophobia, right? But but you could go and just walk right over the border. COVID positive. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I got fully symptomatic. Go ahead. I'm in. Let me let him in. Let him loose on the community. So that's just one level of it. Then the other idea is that, look, the fact is they're running around and they're saying we're going to mandate vaccines for federal workers. We're going to mandate masks. People are stupid if they don't get the vaccine. They're good. You know what? The best way to convince people the vaccines is to tell them that the vaccines work. The reality is, if you have the that people should be, we should be encouraging people to get the vaccine for their own safety, for their own for their own health, because ninety nine point five percent of deaths are in unvaccinated people. But unvaccinated, I'm vaccinated. Unvaccinated people pose no threat to me at all. Right? The the uh, the the CDC numbers are. I did, I dug into the CDC numbers. Okay, since as of July nineteenth, there have been four thousand and seventy three uh, Americans hospitalized with symptomatic COVID, uh, out of one hundred and sixty one million people vaccinated. Okay, and eight hundred and seventy three have died. That is a death rate of zero point zero zero zero. Three zero seven percent. You are more likely to get hit by die in a lightning strike. You're more likely to die from a bee sting. You're more likely to die from a dog attack. You're more likely to die from choking on food while you're out for dinner than you are to die from COVID if you've been vaccinated. These vaccines oh, are up. absolutely miraculous. 
hold up. I just want to make sure that I heard this correctly. You run the math. You are more likely to be killed in a lightning strike if you're a vaccinated yes. person yes. than you are from dying of COVID. Yes, 100%. The, 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 I mean, the that, rate for, that is for, for, for vaccinated people, your chances of dying of COVID are 0.0005%. Your chances of dying in a lightning strike are 0.0007%. And your chance of dying of seasonal flu is 0.1%. So you're much much more likely. Remember last year when everyone said, how how dare you compare COVID to the flu? What the vaccines have done is they have taken this mortal threat and turned it into something that is a little more dangerous than the common cold. We we right now have, there are four coronaviruses floating around the United States, have been floating around for decades, that cause about a quarter of all cases of the common cold every year. COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, is going to be the fifth. It's going to be around. People are going to get it. They're going to, be, they're going to get the sniffles. They're going to get a cough. They might stay home from, where, from work or from school for a day, and then they're going to be fine. But you are not going to die. You are not going to be hospitalized. The chances are infinitesimal if you've been vaccinated. So get the vaccines because they work. And stop yes. telling people who get the vaccines that they have to change their lives, if, yes. if, that they're not free to live their lives. Right. Like you got to wear masks. The kids have to wear masks. And there's just no science. There's just no science there for the kids. Now, the kids. uh, To to be masked up. Let's just jump into the kids for a second, okay? So there are 335 children under 18 who have died in the United States since the pandemic began with a COVID-19 diagnosis in their medical records. Okay, not from COVID-19 with a COVID diagnosis. So the CDC has no idea whether those kids had coexisting conditions, whether they died from COVID, whether it was incidental or causal in their death. They never bothered to call the 335 doctors treating them. That's out of 600,000 people who've died. So kids are less likely to die. Then they are basically a unvaccinated child is has the same risk profile as a vaccinated adult. So what that means is, one, there's absolutely no excuse for putting masks on kids in school. There's absolutely no excuse for requiring children to be vaccinated to go to school. And teachers who are vaccinated and otherwise healthy are at no risk from unvaccinated children. We have to st- yep. we have to ju- we have to stop acting like a bunch of morons. This is why. I, and I mentioned this at the top of the show, I refer to kids as no risk in terms of yeah. death from COVID because statistically it's true. I mean, the, you yeah. can argue that whatever, 0.0003 is not zero, but statistically speaking and for the purposes of crafting policy, it is. And we, we have to be logical about this stuff. I want to read to you, Mark, from a piece that Jonah Goldberg uh, published today at the Dispatch, which I really appreciate and agree with he goes through all these things about how he's always been very reasonable and he's been sort of you know cautious on covid stuff he's never been you know in one polar extreme or the other he says with my self-indulgent celebration of my own reasonableness out of the way i'm here to say that i'm done and he's talking about how he's completely fed up with new mandates or new requirements and all this stuff focused on the vaccinated as opposed to the unvaccinated And he goes through and explains his reasoning, and I think it's really well stated. He said there are basically three primary arguments to require the vaccinated to mask up. The first argument is we need to protect unvaccinated adults 
who account for nearly all COVID-19 deaths and hospitalizations. There would be a good case for this if vaccines weren't readily uh, readily available, but they are. At this point, if you choose not to get vaccinated without a medical excuse, I think it's profoundly foolish, but it's your choice. That's reason number one. Argument number two, there's the matter of children under 12 who can't get the vaccine. My heart aches for any child who dies from COVID-19 or anything else. Fortunately, the death rate, this we were just talking about for children, is statistically minuscule, which, I mean, as I said, almost zero. According to the CDC, roughly twice as many kids die in car accidents every year than have died from COVID during this pandemic. We don't ban kids from cars, right? So that's point two from Jonah. So neither of those are uh, holding water. The third argument he writes usually only hinted at, although some people have come out and said it, is that we need to keep COVID-19 from mutating to an even more dangerous variant that can defeat the vaccines. This is a real concern, but masking and even lockdowns won't prevent that. As best as we can tell, the Delta variant came from India. We could require Americans to wear masks and even get vaccinated. That wouldn't stop the virus from mutating elsewhere in the world. And to have all these restrictions based on potential hypothetical mutations elsewhere is an argument, frankly, to have open-ended, massive restrictions forever with no limiting principle, no end game, no exit strategy whatsoever. That's completely unacceptable. So those are the three arguments that you can sort of plausibly make in favor of vaccinated people having to wear masks. And for reasons that Jonah lays out, Mark, I don't think any of the three of them makes sense. And I'll, I'll tell you two other things to add to that. Number one, nothing is zero, right? You can go to school tomorrow and get bacterial meningitis, and it's probably more likely to get it than you are to get to get to get COVID, and you could die from it. You could walk out of your house tomorrow and get mauled by a dog. You're more likely to get mauled by a dog than you are to die of COVID if you're vaccinated or if you're a kid. Second thing is, we you know when we hear like Rochelle Walensky, who is probably the most the, I mean, has told more lies in, about COVID in the last few weeks than 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 any public health official in, in since Anthony Fauci. <laughs> and she she said that you're twice as likely to die from COVID as you are from the seasonal flu if you're a child. The CDC no, does not have not data close. showing that a single child in America has died of COVID. They do not know. They're 335 with a COVID diagnosis. They don't know that COVID caused any of those deaths. They haven't done the work to try and find out. So they have no data whatsoever on COVID deaths among children, period. They don't have it. There's no proof that a single child in America has died from COVID. So you might, that's just not true. And then finally, you know, the fact. Although, although hang on. Although, let's say, Mark, let's just say for the sake of argument, to pick up on your point, let's say all 335 of those kids died specifically of COVID. I think that is extremely unlikely. The UK did a deep dive into their numbers uh-huh. and found that it was a fraction of their supposed child COVID deaths. Only 25 yep. in the whole country in the UK yep. had actually died of COVID. So, you know, it's let's say it's 100 kids, roughly. Uh, but, but just for the sake of argument, let's say it's all 335 or 337 of them. We know that the flu is definitely more deadly than that among children. A hundred percent. And also, how many of those, if, if any of those kids died, how many had a pre-existing condition that made them more susceptible? Right. So, right. so we're talking about if your healthy kid going to school is at, at as close to zero risk from COVID as a vaccinated adult. It's just not it's just not a plausible argument. And the teachers are not at risk from the kids, even if they're carrying it asymptomatically because they're vaccinated. If they're not vaccinated, then that's their problem. That's their problem. 
their bad choices. Yeah. Then and, the other thing yet, that Wolensky you... said. Go ahead. The other thing that Walensky said the other day, which was just absolutely made my head explode, is that we're just two or three mutations away. This is Jonah mentioned yes. this from from a from a vac- from a variant that can defeat the vaccines. No, we're not. And here's why. The mRNA vaccine technology is so adaptable that we can turn it around and defeat any variant that that is created because it's programmable. It's not it's, it's not a live virus. So it, you know how long it took uh, Moderna to create its vaccine? Two days. The rest of it was uh, the rest of it up until the, it was approved was testing and, and clinical trials and FDA approval. It took two days to make the Moderna vaccine. I asked Scott Gottlieb, who's on the board of Pfizer, AEI scholar, former FDA commissioner, how long would it take to get a vaccine from from the from from the day you you program it to into people's arms? He said 90 days soup to nuts. 90 days. So we can have a new, if a variant came in that was defeating the current vaccine, Pfizer and Moderna could turn around and tweak it and get a booster shot out to people in people's arms starting in 90 days. That's more than enough time. We have defeated COVID-19. We have defeated it. Stop acting like the war is still going on. They're like, they're like, the Biden administration are like those Japanese soldiers left on the Pacific Islands who no one told them the war is over. It's over. And to your point on the vaccines and the adaptability of the vaccines, even if you want to create this hypothetical scare scenario where, oh, in the future there might be a new mutation and it might defeat the existing vaccines, A, your point is extremely well taken. They can be tweaked and adapted very quickly to the vaccines can to defeat the new strain. But if you're going to justify policies and mandates and restrictions and control over people's lives based on total hypotheticals in the future there is no limitation to that right it, it, that cannot be the basis period it cannot be because then you can just use hypotheticals forever to justify any of it and i don't think people are going to stand for that you Mark, just said the I, magic I do, words control over please. people's lives that's what they want they're looking for so this is what the left wants they want to control your life there everybody discovered their inner stalin over the last year they get to tell people what they do and they like it and they don't want to give it up that's why this is yeah. going on i think that's true for some people i think some people are genuinely scared and the media often does a, a very sloppy job i mean the, the i was trying to explain at the top of the show and it's it's confusing but i was trying to explain how some of the headlines about vaccinated versus unvaccinated people and viral loads and transmissibility those have been misrepresented in a very serious way just today and again i don't blame people for perhaps being very worried about this stuff uh but it's incumbent on people with a platform and especially in the news media to try to bring people non-hysterical truths we try to do that here but there's a lot of hysteria and then there's also just some people, Mark, in human nature, they, they want to follow orders. They want to be compliant and obedient and that sort of thing. And, and that's how some people operate. Uh, it's not how I think most of us operate, which is why I saw a lot of pushback right, left, and center, for example, against the D.C. mask mandate that came back this week. Let's leave it there for now. Really good perspective and crunching the stats. There with Mark Thiessen, our colleague at Fox News, Washington Post columnist, former speechwriter to President George W. Bush. His podcast, What the Hell is Going On? I think we helped explain partially what the hell is going on. At least we tried. Mark, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. 
You bet. We'll take a break. We'll come right back on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Back here on the Guy Benson Show. So uh, this is kind of interesting, some drama among Senate Democrats. Politico reporting earlier in their playbook newsletter that Kirsten Cinema from Arizona she has told Chuck Schumer that she's got vacation plans in August and she's going to stick with them. She's going on her vacation. She's like, I'm not going to stick around Washington, D.C. for any of this reconciliation stuff that you're trying to do or for infrastructure. I'm going on vacation. I'm doing what I have planned in August because Schumer has been threatening to keep the Senate in session in the month of August to try to sort of ram through as much of this stuff as they can, or at least keep the legislative calendar on track. And Sinema's saying, thanks, Chuck, but no. I've got plans. We can work around those, figure it out. And by the way, Schumer, that, that takes a big weapon away from him because he's been rattling that sword, rattling that saber, saying, oh, you might have to stay in August unless you do this, that, or the other. And if their 50th vote, their majority-making vote, because it has to have the tie being broken by the vice president, if one of them skips town regardless, then he's sort of up blank creek without a paddle, at least for the month of August, if she's pledging already, no, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm leaving town. So that's a, a wrench in the system, a wrench in the gears, potentially, for the leadership in the Senate. Then there's also this report that in their conference or their caucus meeting, they were debating stuff and talking about stuff. And we know that Cinema said no to a $3.5 trillion reconciliation package. Joe Manchin also concerned about the size of it. He reportedly mentioned the national debt, raised concerns about the debt. He got booed. He got booed by his fellow Democratic senators for mentioning the debt, which is a very real thing. They're booing mention of the debt. That seems healthy. They might alienate him. That also seems like a bad plan. Next hour of the Guy Benson Show. Coming up, don't go anywhere. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show. We are usually in Washington, D.C. Today we're in Austin, Texas on the Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you along. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. The podcast is free every day. Let's check in on the markets. Fox News alert. The Dow closes down 149 points at the end of the trading week. So the final number for the week, the Dow, 34,935. As I mentioned, I'm in Austin today. I was hosting outnumbered from here, as it turned out. Just worked out that way. I'll be on Fox News Sunday as well. Dana Perino sitting in for Chris Wallace, so looking forward to joining her from the same studio. Beautiful view overlooking the stunningly gorgeous Capitol Rotunda and building 
here in Austin. The Texas Capitol is really just a, a beautiful building to look at. And it's right there behind you, right over your shoulder in the studio. When you're here in Austin, I bumped into Carl Rove, said hi to him. He's based here. And it seems sort of fun and somehow appropriate that we've been talking on this show quite a lot in recent weeks about these runaway Texas Democrats. Right? They're supposed to be here, but they're in D.C. I live in D.C., but now I'm here. I'm here for something to do with work. They are in D.C. to avoid work. Right? They're trying to delay. They're not going to block. It's not going to work because ultimately they have to come home. And at that point, they're going to get detained. And they're going to come to the Capitol and they're going to be forced to do their jobs, even if they don't really want to be there. They're just delaying the inevitable by denying quorum to the lower chamber here in Austin, the Texas State House. So they can't take up any of these bills, including the election law that Texas has passed, at least in the Senate, and the governor, Governor Greg Abbott, he's ready to sign. And we have heard so many histrionics from the left about first the Georgia law, now the Texas law, and so much of it bears little or no relation or resemblance to the actual reality. There's a reason why they have to huff and puff and pound on the desk Because there's this old aphorism about trials and lawyers in courtrooms, right? If you have the facts on your side, you pound the facts. If you don't have it on your side, you pound the table. And that's what they're doing. They're yelling about Jim Crow, led by the president, by the way, Mr. Unity. He invokes the Jim Crow legacy wrongly and insultingly often. In relation to these bills, we have Democrats saying, oh, this is the end of democracy. These are direct attacks on democracy. It's like segregation, Bull Connor. These laws are the modern day version of the, you know, the hoses and the dogs that were unleashed on civil rights demonstrators. I mean, it really is grotesque, actually. The way that they've tried to frame this. I do wonder, as a little aside, let me just uh, digress for a moment. We were inveighing yesterday against the D.C. mask mandate for vaccinated people. (laughs) You can be fully vaccinated, you have to wear a mask, even though there is no public health emergency related to COVID in D.C. right now. None. Cases, hospitalizations, deaths, none of it. But to the extent to which there is any uptick in cases in D.C., how much of that is attributable to the Texas Democrats? Remember? Because <laughs> they all went on these uh, charter jets and flew without masks on, which you're not allowed to do if you're a regular person on an airplane. But I guess they're very special. So unmasked, they flew to D.C. They had a little mini super spreader event. And they infected people at the Capitol. They infected people at the White House. I mean, I wonder if you really dug into the numbers, to what extent is the so-called emergency in Washington, which is paltry and scant to begin with, to what extent is it driven, at least in part, by the fleabagger Democrats from Austin? We know it's at least somewhat related to that. I mean, that's just another fun little wrinkle on this little misadventure from the Texas Democrats. The reason I bring this up, it's not just because I'm here in Austin where they should be. It's not just because I'm going to spend some time with the governor 
this weekend, I want to bring to you the results of a poll that was done, a national poll where they polled and surveyed Americans on a number of the key provisions in the Texas law, right, which the Democrats say is Jim Crow and Bull Connor and the killing of democracy, strangling our democracy, uh, you know, with the bare hands of these Republicans. I mean, all of this insane rhetoric. When you actually ask people whether they support or oppose major components of the bill, the results are probably worrisome to Democrats and actually quite illustrative of why, as I alluded to, and as I mentioned, they are ratcheting up and dialing up the rhetoric to 11, yelling and screaming and fulminating as opposed to making calm, cool, rational, substantive arguments, right? Why not try to convince us that the law is unworthy of passage rather than screaming in our faces, unmasked, with a breakthrough case apparently, that it's the end of democracy as we know it? Well, probably because when you get into a lot of the substance, the American people are not on their side. So Patrick Ruffini runs a polling company along with my friend Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Echelon Insights. Smart people, they do a good job. So they went through and they pulled some of this stuff. So for instance, ballot harvesting is illegal within the Texas law, as it should be. I mean, the fact that ballot harvesting is legal anywhere to me is shocking. It is legal in California, by the way. Shock of all shocks. Where you can have individuals or political groups going out there collecting a bunch of ballots from people and then bringing them in for counting. What could possibly go wrong with that chain of custody issue? Right there, That is a rife with problems scenario and practice. In fact, there was an entire congressional race in North Carolina from the 2018 cycle that got thrown out. They had to redo an election because of voter fraud, because of illegal ballot harvesting. California, it's legal. Texas, in this law, ballot harvesting illegal. They asked people, what do you think of that? 61% supported. I think if you even push people a tiny bit and make... Uh, an argument for why ballot harvesting is a bad idea, I bet you that number goes even higher. But 61%, a very clear majority of the American people against ballot harvesting in elections. What about more poll watchers, which is part of the law? 71% are in favor. What about voter ID in order to vote by mail? Right, Rather than this signature match stuff, which is very subjective, you have to prove with a photo ID who you are in order to vote and get that uh, mail ballot and vote that way. 79% of Americans support that, according to this Echelon Insights poll. 82%, broadly speaking, support photo ID to vote. 82%, which is in line with other polls. This is not an outlier. This number has been in the mid to high 70s to low 80s consistently across polls, which is why, and we've talked about this previously, It seems like Democrats might finally be trying to get rid of their talking point against voter ID. They were against it for years. 
right? And, and very vitriolically so, with shrill warnings, calling it voter suppression and racism. And now I saw we talked about Jim Clyburn. Oh, no, no Democrats ever been against voter ID. Not true. He himself was against it. Recently, calling it voter suppression. This is what it was their talking point forever. Now I think they realize that they're just getting buried on this issue in the polls. And so now they're sort of not only coming around, they're pretending like they were never against it in some cases. 82% in favor of photo ID. Here's another one, and this is in the Texas law. 87% of Americans in favor of consistent early voting hours across all the counties in a state. So it's just across the board, the early voting is consistent, county to county. 87% are in favor of that. So, I mean, and, and you with the mail-in balloting, I've also seen other polls showing massive support for only delivering mail-in ballots to people who request them, as opposed to just mailing them out willy-nilly, having it be much more targeted. This is the way they do it in Florida, for example. That is extremely popular. So on a lot of these big-ticket items in these laws, you know, give or take a few little details here or there in Georgia versus Texas, right? a few nuances, but broadly speaking... The numbers I just gave you on those six issues polled, those provisions, support ranged from 61% at the low end to 87% on the high end. You sort of wonder why the American people put any stock into the, the histrionics from Democrats first in Georgia, now in Texas. And I think it helps explain the tactics involved. The rhetoric and the tactics. Because if we're debating this stuff, they're on the wrong side of public opinion. Now, there's, and Kristen Soltis Anderson, who also runs Echelon, this uh, polling agency, she noted that overall, they asked, so those were very specific questions. Then they asked a broader premise question. And this goes kind of to the heart of a lot of the disputes over the 2020 election and what to do moving forward for 2022 and 2024. The question is, when you ask people to choose between making pandemic-era voting rules, vote by mail, etc., so the pandemic emergency stuff, whether you want to make that permanent or whether you want to go back to pre-pandemic rules, which, again, a lot of Democrats have been stuck trying to argue that, like 2018 – 2016, when we didn't have a raging pandemic in the country, those voting rules were an assault on democracy. And simply reverting back to non-emergency status is an assault on democracy. I think that's a tough case to make. And in this poll, when they ask people, would you prefer to institutionalize, enshrine, make permanent the emergency measures, or go back to the way it was, a plurality would prefer to go back to the way it was. Democrats are the only group who prefer making the emergency measures permanent. 60% of Democrats say, let's make them permanent. Only 37% of independents agree. And just one in five Republicans agree. So the reason that I wanted to bring you all those stats and all those data points from this poll is that it goes a very long way, that body of evidence, to explain why we hear so much broad-based, 
angry shouting and finger-pointing and accusations and hyperbole, to put it, I mean, hysteria is what it has been. President talking about Jim Crow left and right. There's a reason why they're going over and over again to that type of comparison and that sort of rhetoric. It's because they want to have a hysteric-based discussion sort of at the, the high level and just convince people through, you know, negative terms and historical comparisons that this is a catastrophe for democracy and a complete disgrace, right, completely unworthy of our republic. But the more you get into details, the weaker and weaker their argument becomes. Hence, the angry show that they've been putting on from Georgia to Texas, which is where we're broadcasting from today. I've got a break. When we come back, there was a vote yesterday in the House of Representatives. It was a vote about your tax dollars and abortion. House Democrats have done something historic and unprecedented and, in my view, extremely bad. We'll tell you about it when we come back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. I'm Guy Benson. We're back here on the show on this Friday. Glad you're listening. I'm not glad to bring you this update from the House of Representatives. Here's a headline from National Review, a story written by John McCormick. House Democrats unanimously vote to kill the Hyde Amendment. Every single House Democrat who voted yesterday on an appropriations bill voted to kill the Hyde Amendment, which is a long-standing, multi-decade agreement, bipartisan, to not fund abortions with taxpayer money through Medicaid, right? It was one of the few sort of pieces of legislative detente on a very contentious issue. We had people on both sides, pro-life, pro-choice, and what Congress did for decades was to say, we're not going to force Americans to pay for abortions with their tax dollars. But yesterday, that changed. For the first time in 45 years, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill to provide taxpayer funding of elective abortions for Medicaid recipients. Since 1976, regardless of partisan control of Congress, every appropriations bill funding Medicaid that that passed the House included the Hyde Amendment, which bars federal funding of abortion except in rare circumstances. The last time such an appropriations bill came to the floor of the House without the Hyde Amendment in it was 1993. Democrats held 258 seats at the time, despite the large Democratic majority, 258 way bigger than their current majority back in 93, there were still enough moderates in the party to add the Hyde Amendment back into that bill before final passage. Democrats now have a slim House majority holding just 220 seats, but pro-life Democrats have effectively gone extinct in the House. The appropriations bill killing off the Hyde Amendment passed on a 219 to 208 vote. Party line. 
The Republicans offered a motion to recommit, like one of the few powers that the minority has in the House, saying, actually, let's put the Hyde Amendment back in, in alignment with 45 years of tradition, and it was defeated by Democrats on a party-line vote. Every single one of them voted for taxpayer funding of abortion, which is an extremely unpopular thing, by the way, in the country. I know it's a tough issue. I am pro-life. I'm proudly pro-life. I have friends who are pro-choice. People can get into it. People can disagree, especially, you know, early pregnancy. It's thorny. Asking people or forcing people to pay for abortions with their tax dollars had been a consensus, no, for many decades. But Joe Biden, this is the way the party's gone, Democratic Party, he flip-flopped in his entire career position against taxpayer-funded abortion. He had to be in favor of it to get the Democratic nomination for president. By the way, the House also passed yesterday a measure to pay for abortions around the globe, overseas abortions with U.S. taxpayer dollars. That's what the House did yesterday. Killing the Hyde Amendment unanimously, every single House Democrat, including the so-called moderates, like Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania, right? These people are going to present themselves as moderates. This is not moderate. It is the state of the Democratic Party today, and it's a real shame. It's the Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Guy Benson Show. Halfway through this Friday edition of The Guy Benson Show from Austin, Texas, ATX. Glad to have you here with me on the radio. Joining me is Dr. Nicole Sapphire, twice in one week, but we had to have her back because there's a lot happening on the medical front with COVID. She and I were also on Outnumbered together today on the virtual couch. If you don't know her, you're new to the show, Dr. Sapphire is a board-certified medical doctor and a senior Fox News medical contributor. She's a best-selling author. Her most recent book is Panic Attack, playing politics with science in the fight against COVID-19. Doctor, fun TV today. Good to have you here on the radio as well. Thanks for having me, Guy. I want to dive into this CDC guidance with you a little bit and some of the confusion. It just feels like there is mass confusion all over the place based on what public health officials are saying, what politicians are saying. It's hard to really discern what is accurate and what is not. And we actually got into this on TV as well. There have been headlines for example, this from ABC News, there was a tweet from the New York Times uh, on similar lines saying, Delta leaves vaccinated and unvaccinated with similarly high viral loads. And the New York Times tweet effectively said that the transmissibility or the likelihood of transmission from vaccinated people and unvaccinated people may be roughly the same, which actually is not true. That's not what the CDC data is showing. It's a subsection of of vaccinated people for which that might be true and yet some of these headlines flying all over the place would suggest to people well if the transmission rate and the likelihood of transmission from vaccinated and unvaccinated are the same what is the point of the vaccine at least when it comes to protecting other people it's just misleading that that isn't even what the data shows and yet the media is running with i don't know what to call it other than misinformation well, Guy, I'll be honest, I, you know, I can bring some clarity, but even as the CDC is slowly releasing some of the data that's gone into their de- decision-making, there's still a lot of confusion. 
So first of all, the big thing that they're saying with Delta, yes, we all know it's more contagious. Yes, we've all heard at this point that you can have a higher viral load. That viral load is what makes you more contagious and more likely to get symptoms. And so what they're seeing in people who have been vaccinated, they've been swabbing their nose and their throat, and they're finding that they actually are having higher viral loads than the vaccinated people with the earlier variants. So what does that mean? Does that mean that they are still able to transmit, transmit it? Well, probably, but still not as, not as easily as someone who's not vaccinated and who has no immunity right. to this virus. And actually what we're thinking is if a vaccinated person has one of those uncommon breakthrough cases, remember, those are still very uncommon. Um, if right. they have one of those, then maybe they can transmit it. But it certainly won't be the same as an unvaccinated person transmitting it. And maybe it would be more likened to one of the earlier, less contagious strain or variants like alpha. I just want to just slow down and underscore what you just said, because we mentioned it here on the show earlier. But when I tweet things or I say things, I'll get critics out there saying, oh, where'd you get your medical degree? I'm not pretending that I'm a doctor, but I also can be a well-read, well-informed person who talks to doctors literally every day about this stuff. So this is an actual, well-respected doctor, our colleague, Nicole Sapphire, here with us, who is helping us understand how the media in particular is getting this so wrong. I don't blame people for getting freaked out based on the information they're being given the information is being presented in a way that is deeply misleading i'm not even sure it's on purpose i think journalists are just sort of like oh gosh this is our headline even if it's not true what she just said just to paraphrase it and repeat if you are unvaccinated overwhelmingly the unvaccinated are driving the Delta wave, the overwhelming majority, 97, 98, 99% of hospitalizations and deaths are from unvaccinated people. Part of the question is, do vaccinated people, fully vaccinated, who have breakthrough cases, how much of a risk are they to other people? And again, I think that's sort of a sideshow compared to getting unvaccinated people to get vaccinated. I think that's job number one by far. I feel like we're bogged down in, in this other stuff that is not as important. It is simply not true. The CDC is not saying the data does not suggest that fully vaccinated people have the same likelihood of transmitting the disease as unvaccinated people. It's not even close. That is not true. What they're saying is for those among the vaccinated who do have a rare breakthrough infection, among those, the viral load and the transmissibility may be similar to what we see among unvaccinated people or from unvaccinated people. Did I get that right? I just want to make sure, doctor, that I am telling the audience the truth. I will tell you, Guy, that is what the data shows right now, but that's not entirely what they are saying. The CDC is actually still saying they maybe even an asymptomatic vaccinated person can transmit the virus, but that goes against everything that we know. And when it comes to virology and immunology, it is highly unlikely for that to happen. And we can't keep making these policy decisions on maybes. What we need to do is look at the data. And the data tells us as soon as we had a large amount of the population vaccinated, we completely uncoupled disease severity from new cases. And that's right. what we need to be looking at. No, I mean, I, we're in total agreement on that. And the maybes, that's part of what frustrates me here. I also just think that the way it's being framed, that it's like there's no difference between if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, there's no difference. 
in the likelihood of you transmitting the disease to someone else that's just not even close to true. It's, I mean, I, I'm, I feel like a broken record, but it's driving me crazy to see people texting me like, hey, I mean, what's the point of getting vaccinated? I feel like there's almost an active campaign. I don't think it's intentional, but it, it almost feels like there's an active campaign to erode confidence in the vaccines, which is a tragedy and mind-boggling to me because the vaccines, and this is a point you made on TV as well, the vaccines are incredibly effective, incredibly safe. They are helpful in protecting others. They are very helpful in protecting yourself against bad health outcomes. But people are being bombarded with a lot of fear about Delta and seeming questions about the efficacy of these vaccines. And I just don't know what, what the end game is here for some of the people spinning this stuff. Well, I can tell you guys one thing. So first of all, the great thing about these vaccines, as we have seen, clearly it keeps people out of the hospital and saves lives. Sure, there are very rare occurrences where a vaccinated person is hospitalized, but that is a very small amount of people. And it tends to be the older and those who are immunosuppressed. So that's what the first vaccine did. Maybe now that we know that we have this Delta variant and people are still having a viral load in their nose or in their throat, the booster vaccine should be focused as a nasal spray like we've seen with the flu, because that will immediately decrease the viral load in the nose and the throat and boost the protection that we're seeing with these mild symptoms. Again, the vaccine is doing a great job saving lives. But if our worry at this point is, well, maybe they can still transmit it to more vulnerable. Okay, well, we can talk about that in the future for the booster shots. But that doesn't mean we go back to masking or even talk about lockdowns. That's not what that means at all. Our goal has been save lives. The vaccine efficacy at this point still is significantly higher than many of the other of our vaccines. Flu vaccine, 30 to 60 percent efficacy. Chickenpox, 90. The pneumonia vaccine, 64 percent. We are still seeing over 80 percent in most of these vaccines. That's a great thing. We have to keep things in perspective. Our ultimate goal is to save lives, not to get to zero cases. Right. And this is part of what we've been discussing about the nature of an endemic virus. We don't shut down society for the flu during flu season. We learn to live with the flu, even though there is health suffering and death associated with it. It is manageable. And we do risk assessment and risk management, consciously or otherwise, all the time. And I feel like a lot of that stuff has just been completely thrown out the window during COVID. Doctor, I want to get your reaction. Here's a headline from CNN. This is their official account tweeted this today. Quote, vaccination alone won't stop the rise of variants and, in fact, could push the evolution of strains that evade their protection, researchers warned. They said people need to wear masks and take other preventative steps until almost everyone is vaccinated. I mean, am I misreading this? It sounds like the CNN headline is saying that vaccinations in some ways are bad because it could help push the evolution of vaccine elusive strains. I I am completely baffled by this messaging. Well, so, Guy, there is some truth to that. Um, We need to have some humility that it is theoretically possible for a new variant to kind of reset our thinking. But it's unlikely. It hasn't happened yet. We only are talking Alpha to Delta right now, but there have been hundreds to thousands of variants throughout the last year and a half, and none of them has completely escaped immunity. But the big... so. We just have to keep that in perspective that this is all speculative. And as right. you mentioned, we, well, we will never get to 100% of this population immune. We just won't. And that's because you'll never convince 100% of anyone to do the exact same thing. 
But we have to get to a place where we accept a level of risk and live with the virus, because that's what happens when you have an endemic virus. We have many of them. And just like other risk situations like smoking or wearing seatbelts, there are going to be people who know risks associated and they choose to do it. And that's okay, as long as they're not putting other people in harm's way. And right now, the best way to protect yourself is get vaccinated. If you are vaccinated, the chance of you having a severe outcome of COVID-19 is extremely rare. It is right. such a low risk level that you, I, tell me, I'll tell you, you have already accepted that level of risk just by getting in your car and driving to work every day because there's so many more car accidents every day of people dying. And your point is well taken about being humble and understanding that there are you know, hypothetical scenarios in the future. I just have no idea why you would be scaring people with future potential hypotheticals when we have a really strong solution right in front of us. I I just feel like if you're going to dream up, and this was part of my criticism of Dr. Walensky when she was giving interviews uh, the other day, when she was talking to the press and she was talking about potential future mutations, like if you are going to float these possibilities that are scary that could conceivably maybe happen in the future, that could justify any number of restrictions and mandates, and I feel like that is irresponsible, and a lot of people are going to feel like it's a a boy who cried wolf syndrome, where it's not even saying, okay, this is the threat that's directly in front of us, so we have to do X, Y, and Z. You're almost saying, we need to guard against hypotheticals in the future. I just feel like you're going to lose a lot of people while you try to scare them. That's just my impression. We can't live our life in a paralyzed state of fear of what could be. I mean, we actually, that, that, that's what we call paranoid schizophrenics, when they have a delusion of this constant fear that their life is in danger. We live with risks every single day as human beings, and we need to get to a level where we are able to accept those risks. And when it comes to COVID-19, we have ample amount of vaccines. We need to make sure we get them across the globe so we can help decrease global transmission. But we have to move fast past this sense of fear, because if you have chosen to be vaccinated and you are making smart decisions when it comes to who you're around and how you're behaving, then you've given yourself a very, very safe place in this pandemic. Finally, doctor, I feel like almost every time we talk, the issue of children and schools comes up. We've seen some waffling and some wavering from certain people, including a powerful teachers union boss in recent days about school reopenings. I tweeted something about the vaccine where I described children as virtually no risk. And in terms of death, I mean, the numbers bear it out. 337 child, 18 and under, or under 18, deaths with COVID in the entire pandemic out of 75 million kids. Every single one of those is is heartbreaking and heart-wrenching, but also in terms of policymaking and crafting what public policy is to pretend that there is some really big risk of severe outcomes for children, especially death from this, there's just not data to support that. And yet people jump down your throat if you point that out, like like you're somehow callous and you don't care about the well-being of children. I feel like it's really hard to have constructive, logical conversations about broad-based public health policy when people are willing to look at vanishingly rare, almost statistically zero occurrences and blow them so out of proportion that you you can't have those conversations and you can't make policies that are sensible. All right. Well, the only thing you can do is 
speak of facts, okay? We, can, we have to take emotion out of this. I mean, I'm a mother of three. You don't think I want to protect my children? But as an academic physician, I also like to follow the data. When it comes to, and this, these numbers include the Delta variant, when it comes to COVID-19 in children, you have about one to four hospitalizations in about a million. That's what we're seeing here, and that's what we're seeing elsewhere in the world. In England, it's lower. It's actually one to two per one million. Every given year, the flu, which there are flu vaccines for, 50 per 100,000 children are hospitalized with the flu. The flu can be very deadly for, COVID, for children. COVID-19 is not. Every year, we keep our children in school. We're not putting masks on them, and we move forward knowing that there is a risk that they could get sick, but we don't shut things down. We certainly don't allow children to be kept at home because all of a sudden, we're keeping them home for something that has much lower risk to them than many other circulating pathogens do. Every, any given year, respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, kills upwards towards five to 800 children under the age of five in the United States. We have less than 500 children, zero to 17, that have died from COVID-19. Yep. But again, we have never shut down preschools, kindergartens for RSV. We yeah, need to keep things in perspective. Those are the facts. Those are the stats. That is important to recognize. And by the way, that scary Delta wave in the UK and in India, the cases have come down precipitously over there. And thank God there's also been a decoupling, especially in the UK, of severe cases and deaths from cases. And a lot of that has to do with the vaccines and natural immunity. And that makes this wave different than the other ones, even with this more transmissible Delta variant. And that's another thing that I know that you've been underscoring a lot and matters quite, quite a bit to having a rational conversation about any of this. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, we always appreciate your time here. Thanks for taking the time to hash it out and calmly explain stuff to us because it seems like calm is not necessarily the order of the day, but we appreciate your insight. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Nicole Sapphire on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's The Guy Benson Show. We're back. Went a little long there with Dr. Sapphire, but I think it's the number one story in the country, in the world right now. I do want to get to some economics and politics here in the U.S. Here's a quote this week from Jay Powell, the Fed chair. Quote, inflation could turn out to be higher and more persistent than we expected. Because we keep hearing from the White House, oh, it's transitory. It's going to come and go really quickly. Really, there's not really inflation. You saved what, what, four cents on your Fourth of July barbecue or some nonsense. Well, the Fed chair says it looks like inflation could be more long-lasting and more significant than they had previously anticipated. Meanwhile, a key inflation indicator jumped 3.5%, the fastest rise in 30 years. That's from the New York Post today. Also this week, the GDP Q2 number missed expectations by several percentage points. So this Biden recovery, which should be relatively turnkey, isn't really working out that way so far, with inflation concerns growing, and the Democrats want to spend $3.5 trillion more dollars before their next big bill. It is fiscal insanity. Republicans are the fiscally irresponsible party. Democrats are the fiscally insane party. Whoever coined that phrase should get $100, because it's absolutely true. 
though that 100 bucks can buy you a lot less these days, it feels like. Final hour of the Guy Benson Show coming up, our happy hour on a Friday. Cat Timp is here. Stay tuned. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Happy Hour on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday... Happy Friday. Thanks for being here. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is free every single day, including weekends. Bonus Benson, Saturday and Sunday. GuyBensonShow.com, the website. FoxNewsPodcasts.com or wherever you get your free podcasts. On demand, no charge to you. Pretty good deal. And the happy hour sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. It is actually all over the great state of Texas where I am right now in Austin, expanding across the country, thelongdrink.com. That's their online home. You can see where it's sold near you. You can order online if it hasn't come to your area just yet. Thelongdrink.com, 21 plus only, and always drink responsibly. I am a fan, and it's not just because they sponsor the show. So let's begin the happy hour on this Friday with Fridays with Cat. Cat Tim, our friend, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld, exclamation point, co-host of the Tyrus and Timph podcast. She joins us from our New York headquarters. Kat, hello. Hi. I I have to say that your tweet in response to the ridiculous Photoshop they did on Outnumbered of me with long hair, because there was a, I guess the topic was a lot of guys who grew their hair out for the pandemic are going back to work and keeping the long locks. So they asked me, have you ever had long hair? I said, no. And they said, oh, we beg to differ. And they (laughs) fact checked me with this, with this ridiculous, truly preposterous looking Photoshop with like Fabio hair. And I got a lot of response, and I appreciate that you pretended to like it. No, I think that you should do it surgically, because I don't, you, you know, like you don't want to waste any time to like grow it out. Uh, that would be a waste of time. You need to surgically get a very long below the shoulders. Uh, you know, like you're a bass player in a band, and you live in a. Uh, a pl- apartment with nine roommates in Brooklyn. Mm. What you're telling me is I need hair extensions. Yes. Like the ones that perhaps I, you occasionally I wear hair extensions. Yourself. Of course I wear hair extensions. I can't grow this hair myself. I'm not a superhero. <laughs> I was at your place a couple weeks ago, and we were having a drink, and I think it was Friday night, yeah. and you just announced like out of nowhere, you're like, what time is it? Shot a clock. And yeah. then you're like, also, oh, it's time to have the extensions come out. And yeah. you just pulled your extensions right out. Yeah, taking the extensions out often does coincide with shot a clock. Um, <laughs> it, just, it just, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, timing and, and whatnot. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, how the sun sets and it gets dark out. Shot a clock, the extensions often come out. Um, I like to announce it. I feel is less shocking to people who, you know, may not realize that I don't grow my hair myself. Because I will take my weave out whenever it's time to take my weave out. 
Okay, I can be on public transportation. I can be in an Uber. <laughs> I can just be. Just speaks to you. I took my weave out in an airport as we were walking to the gate once. Because you know what? I didn't want to fly with my clip-ins in. That would have been uncomfortable for me. So, yeah. And I, I think that it's, it, it was very courteous of me to, you know, you know, announce, hey. Because it does look a little creepy. It's brave. When I start it's really brave. To, it does look creepy when I start to unclip and remove the, and, you know, the giant things. Of, you know, people will look at you and say, oh, is she okay? The answer is no, but it's got nothing to do with the with the hair. Not not with the hair. Yeah. yeah. And since we were talking about shot o'clock, I do just want to remind everyone in this happy hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, always drink responsibly. Cat. What is that? When taste you're like? talking about the extensions, <laughs> when you're talking about your extensions, like if someone's watching you on Gutfeld on a nightly basis, and, and millions are, how much of that hair is real, and then how much of the flowing golden locks are? Not so real. Almost none of it is mine. My hair is just below my shoulders. Like, well, it's a little bit. It's gotten, it's actually started growing a little longer than it has ever been in my life because now I'm in like a stable, healthy marriage. Well, I mean, like even like before we were married, like relationship. Um, and I, the relationship with, with Cam, my husband is, it's, it's, he's very even keeled and it, it kind of, um, you know, mellows me out a little bit um kind of like you know when people i mean not not a lot but you know like in terms of <laughs> it, it, it it was a i was really far gone in the other direction so i i i might have grown a little more hair but yeah not a lot a- almost none of it is mine it's like just be- like you know it's below my shoulders but it's not thick it's like thin it's horrible i have horrible hair and i like to be very public about the fact that i wear <laughs> extensions right so as opposed to being like a you know a Kardashian, they all wear wigs and then they sell sugar bear gum, gummy bears on the on their Instagram. Like it's not the gummy, it's the wig. Uh, I, I like because I didn't know about extensions until I started doing guest spots here, and I was like, oh, I wish I had hair like all these people. And then the person doing my hair was like, Oh, honey, that's not their hair. And I was like, What are you What are you talking about? And I discovered extensions, and mm. now I am a princess mermaid on uh, on the, cable news. The, and the truth became evident and yep. you're like sign me up sign <laughs> please me up. give me but i think it's important that people know that because i you know the whole instagram versus reality thing i wake up looking like it'd be draggled swamp rat and then i come here and i get my weave clipped in and i get professional makeup <laughs> and then i look like the sexy librarian so it's you know it's it's I, it is a process i think you're selling you're selling yourself short in terms of the swamp rat thing well i mean you, you are rat. you are Gutter yeah, because I do live in a city. Yeah. There's no swamps around. More of a gutter rat. Yeah, maybe when you come down to DC, if you guys ever come to visit, I know you've you been have never to visit given for like a, a you have never given a firm invite. It's oh, always it's, it's firm. Sometime come to DC. No, it's firm. Someday is not a day of the week, buddy. It'll have to be a weekend. Yeah, and it's a firm invite before the entire country listening and God Himself also listening. I hope. You are invited, you and Cam, to come for a weekend in D.C. The point is you can become a swamp rat in D.C. because swampiness stuff. And also, again, you, you look you look fabulous just the way you are. Oh, well, that's but, not true. But hair that's and like telling someone to be themselves. That's that's all you sure. That's great advice if you never want a job or a friend or a place in society. <laughs> Always yeah, be good. yourself. Horrible advice. Uh, bad advice. No, we're all all of us as humans are completely intolerable as our real selves. It's like <laughs> always be yourself. That's like that's if you're if you're going around 
Always being yourself. That's very mean of you to do. Selfish. Yeah. Selfish and, and off-putting in many cases. Yeah, and also and that, does, like- that does mean this is me toned down. <laughs> this is yeah, my, this is, this is office cat. <laughs> You're also post-steroids, cat. Last yes. time you were on the show, you had steroids Ugh. because you were getting ready for a surgery, yes. and you were in rare form. You were bouncing off the yes. walls in that interview, and today is just positively sedate by yeah, comparison. By compa- well, because I am, I am naturally a high-energy person. I do not need steroids. I, do, I have zero understanding of why people would use those recreationally. I had a horrible time. I was like, I had so much anxiety over nothing. Which, but everything's good now, right? Uh, yeah, it went I'm, well. Yeah, it went well. I'm. It's it's wild because I'm still, you know, I'm like a week and a half, you know, post op, and you know, so I'm still in the recovery, uh, you know, phase. Like I still have some congestion, that kind of a thing. But I already feel a million times better than I felt in over a year. Um, so I'm excited. The breathing has been better. Been, it's been great. And that's always a plus. I always, I'm, I'm very pro breathing, honestly. Yeah, I mean, so I Kat, hate to be a diva, but yeah, it's been nice. <laughs> it's an important thing to be able yeah. to do. Now, you were saying people should not be themselves. That sounds like some advice, some wisdom yes. from Cat Tim. Sure and does. it actually reminds me of a segment, or really the Fox Nation show that you've done, Sincerely Cat, and I'm very excited to allow you to announce this evening on Gutfeld exclamation point, you're actually bringing Sincerely Cat to the big time, not just yes. here on the Guy Benson show. You've done that before, but now you're doing it even bigger time, one might argue, on the Fox News channel tonight. Yeah, I got I got a, uh, a text from GG around 9 o'clock last night. Hey, do you want to do Sincerely Cat as the e-block? And I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. So we're, we're going to have a, a lot of fun. Kennedy's on. It'll be, it'll be a party. Oh, yeah, it's going to oh, be a party. Oh, that's going to be very fun. Be very so fun. just to sort of get your juices flowing and okay. get you ready to be Sincerely Cat and, and handing out your various Because uh, the people need it. It's almost cruel the, of me to not do it. Yeah, you can't withhold. Yeah. I mean, the people demand this. So producer Christine actually needs your advice. So she's got a Sincerely Cat question for you. Christine? Hi, Cat. Hi. Um, I actually have two questions now because Guy probably can confirm this. Cat, I usually am myself mm. uh, all the time. And I think maybe this is where a lot of my problems come from. No. So- here, here's what I mean. Um, you know, if... I feel like you have never been, you know, hurled out of the building, to my knowledge, for punching anyone or spitting on the floor. There's probably been times you've wanted to. So that's what I mean. You know, I don't think very often before I speak. I'm a little too much myself. I have the ADD, ADHD going on. I have huge issues with impulsivity. But you, you draw the line somewhere. You know, you draw the line somewhere. You make an effort. There's some things that... um but it behooves you to keep mm-hmm. to keep to yourself, and I keep I've managed to keep about half of those inside, which is 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 um, I think the um, secret to my success. So just a so filter kind is of what like yeah, like so like when I decided a while ago, one bottle of wine a day. Yeah, so is like enough. cigarettes, right? So cigarettes, okay. Right. You know, yeah. you don't want to be smoking the unfiltered cigarettes but you know you don't really want it like uh, when i when i did smoke cigarettes i smoked parliament lights with a recessed filter and that is also uh now that i realize it my approach to life wow i should be a poet just to clarify we do not support or endorse cigarette smoking here on the I program i said used to okay used for to. a yeah, reason you, you quit because yeah, it is a vile addictions. habit 
You traded addiction a healthier for addiction. your jewel. Yes, that you that you clutch. All right, next question, Christine. Okay, um, so Kat, I had uh, a best friend uh, for for years. We weren't childhood best friends. It just came later on in life. But I would definitely say we we're more drinking buddies. But we hung out and spoke a lot. And she didn't. She lived here. She does not live here now. She moved out of the country. But uh, her and I did not see eye to eye politically. She definitely did not like the fact that I worked at Fox Ugh. News. And it started to get just during COVID progressively worse. To the point where we legit just stopped talking. There was a lot going on and we just, too many blows were, you know, had and we just stopped talking. Now, her and her family are coming back for two-week vacation in August. And I've been advised by other friends, well, you just apologize. (gasps) You make good and maybe you can hang out with us. I don't feel like I need to apologize for who I am or what I believe in. Do I just let it go and just ignore them for the two weeks or do I? Okay, so you're invited to hang out with like a group, but they'll be there. I'm in this exact same situation because as I've shared on this show, the exact same thing happened to me with my like best friend in the entire world. And I don't have, you know, anything to apologize for. And like there's, you know, a a mutual friend birthday coming up. We'll both be invited. I'm not sure if I go or if I don't go. If I go, I think this is a place where this is what I'm talking about, the recess filter. You can be cordial, but you don't want to compromise your values. And I learned this in therapy um, because there's guilt and then there's there's shame and feeling shame is like when you're ashamed of something because of society's values. But guilt is when. You, you feel bad because you've done something that runs counter to your values. And if you apologize and you don't believe you did anything wrong, that is going to be you behaving in a way that is counter to your values. And you're going to feel guilt. And you're going to feel horrible. I had to pay a lot of money to get that advice. And now I'm giving it to you for free. So one of those bottles of wine you can bring to me next time. <laughs> next time we see each other. By the way, Christine, now that I'm thinking about this, I'm actually yeah. surprised because in our conversations about this particular friend – she would dump on and badmouth America a lot, right? Like mm-hmm. she would talk about how oh, yeah. backwards and she awful. She wasn't happy. So, so isn't guns, it interesting that she is, oh, yeah. but she, she's coming here for a two-week vacation? Right. I, wouldn't she be happy to be gone? Why would she come back to, for, for leisure? There's a lot of people questioning it. <laughs> There's a lot of people know. wondering. But, you know, I, Maybe I don't it's not so awful after all. Hmm. I mean, I'm sure it's more about the people, the friends that she made, not, not me, but uh, so I, I just, I don't know. I think, Kat, you're right. If I apologize after she's gone, I'm going to be mad at myself. Yeah. You know, yeah, don't do for, it. Don't do it. Yeah. And it, it, can, now, and I know that it's, I'm, I know that it's painful. I know that it's painful, but if you, at least if you'll know the pain you're experiencing is you're, it's, you, you're at least being true to yourself. It's not like, ugh, you know, and it's tough for me, too. It's really, really tough for me, too. Um, Very painful. But I I can't the worst kind of guilt and that icky, yucky feeling where you you can't get away from yourself. You're the person you have to hang out with the most. Truly impossible to get get away from yourself. So you want to treat that person right. And if you know where your what your values are, and you know where you stand you should not let external forces make you act a way outside of that because then living in your own body is going to suck for you for a while and you can't go out anywhere else. Yeah, I feel like you can wow. reconcile or try to reconcile with people without prostrating yourself 
for something that you are not at fault for. Right. I mean, I think that that's sort of that's sort of the sweet spot if you can achieve it. We've got to leave it there. Cat Timpf will be doing her thing. Sincerely, Cat on Gutfeld tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern, Fox News Channel. She's a Fox News contributor. You can check out her podcast with Tyrus as well, foxnewspodcast.com. Good luck, Cat. Looking forward to watching. Ah, thank you. Bye. We'll be right back on the happy hour. The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. It's a sad story, though. Ron Popeil, infomercial star and inventor, he passed away this week at the age of 86. Perhaps his most famous invention that he sold on late-night television, the infomercials, was the rotisserie grill. Remember this one? Set it and forget it. I watched this infomercial far too often as a kid. It was on, like, it was sort of mesmerizing. They had this very enthusiastic studio audience just clapping wildly, showing all the different meats and everything that you could cook on the Showtime rotisserie grill with Ron Popeil. It really cuts the fat. I remember that. And he would say, and then you just set it, like the timer, and, and the crowd would yell, forget it. So my family bought a set it and forget it machine. My dad was like, let's do it. So we get it in the mail, huge package, and plastered all over the packaging at every level as you opened it were huge warnings, stickers. Do not set and forget this machine. It will burn your house down. <laughs> so we watched I lo- it came with a VHS instructional video which was spectacularly hilarious and they showed all the things you weren't supposed to do at one point they demonstrated like all the wrong things to do at once at the same time and Ron Popeil walks into the frame and points at it and says shaking his head this is no and he just like a big X sign with his hands big red X over the screen amazing but it made a delicious, juicy chicken. It did. And it really did cut the fat. And it wasn't just chicken, but we would typically just use it for chicken. Although it wasn't always, it was a little loud as the rotisserie rotated. But the end product, delicious. So my dad would swear by it. Rest in peace, Ron Popeil, a household name for many. The Guy Benson Show continues after this. The Guy Benson Show. We are back. It's the happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Earlier in today's program, in the first hour, we welcome back Mark Thiessen, Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor, former presidential speechwriter. We got into a lot of different topics, including some of the machinations on Capitol Hill, also the CDC guidance and all those controversies. Here's a taste of my conversation with Mark Thiessen. Mark, what the hell is going on? with the vaccines and the CDC and the guidance and the masks and the children. I mean, it is it is a blizzard of confusion. It seems like people are making decisions that are certainly flummoxing to me and not really explaining them in ways that are uh, convincing or terribly persuasive. And... I can understand a lot of people throwing up their hands and saying, I just, I'm done with all of this stuff. How are you feeling about 
the state of play right now? Well, first of all, do you remember when Pete, when they left, was all saying how Donald Trump was politicizing uh, COVID and that we could no longer trust our public health officials because of the politicization in the Trump administration? Well, I mean, they've yeah. done more damage in the last few weeks to the tr- American people's trust in the CDC and public health than all four years of the Trump administration might have done. I mean, it, it's absurd. For one thing, the idea that that vaccinated people have to wear masks or that, I mean, I'll give you, just, let's just look at the border, for example. There's so many areas we could go to, it's unbelievable. But like, so in Canada, the Biden administration just barred for another month fully vaccinated Canadians from entering into the country, right? But they're letting COVID positive people come in on the southern border and they're sending right. them out to the Illegally. Community. Illegally. So like, if you enter the, if you try to enter the country legally from the northern border, you can't get as in. As a vaccinated person, American, a vaccinated, a vaccinated person. legal person, right, who's, who's, who's coming in legally. <laughs> and, and from Europe, too, vaccinated legal, legally, those travel, the Trump travel bans have just been extended. Remember when those were, uh, you know, jingoism or whatever, they, whatever the Biden called them? You know, those have right. just been extended by the Biden administration, too. But xenophobia, right. But, but you could go and just walk right over the border. COVID positive. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I got fully symptomatic. Go ahead. I'm in. Let me let him in. Let him loose on the community. So that's just one level of it. Then the other idea is that, look, the fact is they're running around and they're saying we're going to mandate vaccines for federal workers. We're going to mandate masks. People are stupid if they don't get the vaccine. They're You know what? The best way to convince people the vaccines is to tell them that the vaccines work. The reality is, if you have the that people should be, we should be encouraging people to get the vaccine for their own safety, for their own for their own health, because ninety nine point five percent of deaths are in unvaccinated people. But I'm vaccinated. Unvaccinated people pose no threat to me at all. Right. The the uh, the the CDC numbers are I I dug into the CDC numbers. Okay, since as of July 19th, there have been four thousand and seventy three Americans hospitalized with symptomatic covid uh, out of 161 million people vaccinated. Okay, and 873 have died. That is a death rate of zero point zero zero zero. Three zero seven percent. You are more likely to get hit by die in a lightning strike. You're more likely to die from a bee sting. You're more likely to die from a dog attack. You're more likely to die from choking on food while you're out for dinner than you are to die from COVID if you've been vaccinated. These vaccines oh, hold are up. absolutely miraculous. Hold up. I just want to make sure that I heard this correctly. You run the math. You are more likely to be killed in a lightning strike if you're a vaccinated yeah. person. Yes. Then you are from dying of COVID. Yes, one hundred percent. The the the, I mean, the that, rate for, that is for, for, for vaccinated people, your chances of dying of COVID are zero point zero 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 five percent. Your chances of dying in a lightning strike are zero point zero 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 seven percent, and your chance of dying of seasonal flu is zero point one percent. So you're much, much more likely. Remember last year when everyone said, how, can, how dare you compare COVID to the flu? What the vaccines have done is they have taken this mortal threat and turned it into something that is little more dangerous than the common cold. My full interview with Mark Thiessen available online, GuyBensonShow.com, also as part of the free podcast on demand every day when the show is over. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch. I love this topic. I saw a story on BuzzFeed 
about major famous singers and bands confessing songs of theirs that they hate, songs that they refuse to perform. We'll walk through some of them next. Guy Benson will be right back. Homestretch on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday from Austin, Texas. Glad to have you along. So I saw this story from BuzzFeed. It's one of their infamous listicles, but it was one that was irresistible to click on. 27 hit songs that their singers regret, hate, or literally refuse to perform. I was like, okay, I want to read this. And number one, the very first one on this list is from my favorite musical artist, who I've seen multiple times in concert, Billy Joel. And in fairness to Billy, it's not one of his best songs. It's interesting, kind of as a mini modern history lesson, but the song itself has never been one of my favorites. Apparently with Billy, uh, he would agree. Listen to just a little bit of We Didn't Start the Fire. We didn't start the fire. He once called it, quote, one of the worst melodies I ever wrote, also calling it not much of a song and terrible. I mean, that's a little harsh, but it's not near the top of the list for me in the Billy Joel catalog. And I really, truly enjoy most of the catalog. Now, the first concert I ever saw in my life was Billy Joel and Elton John together. We saw Elton John, Adam and I did, down in Australia in his farewell tour, which is still ongoing, but it was down in Australia at the time, back in January, right before the pandemic started. So I've seen him in concert twice, and one of the songs that he is very well known for, I think it's very catchy, but I guess he doesn't really like it. He says, ugh, I've got a bleeping sing that one again. The audience loves it, so it's a guilty pleasure. Here is Crocodile Rock. I guess he hates it, which is kind of sad. I like Crocodile Rock. I'm scrolling through here. This one surprised me because of the sort of iconic collaboration. But Lady Gaga says that she does not like this song in which she paired up with Beyonce. Listen. Telephone. She says, I hate telephone. Is that terrible to say? It's the song that I have the most difficult time listening to. She said it's not really about the song itself, but more with the mix and the process of getting the production finished, which she called stressful. She also hated the music video, apparently. So it sounds more like a creative process issue than really hating the song itself, but she has these flashbacks, I guess, to all the stress, and so it's a bad taste left in her mouth. Now, as you go through this list, there are a few that jump out at you because it's one of the most famous songs that these people are even known for, and they hate. So Miley Cyrus evidently really despises this song. How can you hate that song? She shrugs, for some reason, the people love it. (laughs) 
We the people do, Miley. Party in the USA, it's just a bop. How can you hate that song? Oh, about being nervous, you're moving from Nashville to Los Angeles, and you're out of place, and you've got butterflies in your stomach, but then songs that you like come on and you feel at home. Nothing wrong with that song. With all due respect to Miley, she's just incorrect about this. Now, Ed Sheeran has a couple songs that I really enjoy. He has some classic slow dance songs, for example. I believe two of his slow dance songs have been at the very top of wedding first dances in America now for years running. But one of his big pop hits, I guess he's not a fan of, listen to this. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet Shape of you, he says, it doesn't really feel like him. He had to be convinced to even put it on an album. And because it was such a hit, they persuaded him to make it a single. He never liked it. I'm just scrolling through here. Madonna apparently doesn't like Like a Virgin. She's sick of a lot of her old songs, she says. Like Holiday, she also doesn't like. She said she wouldn't perform it unless she was paid $30 million. Oh, you know, it's such a tough life having to play for audiences' songs that they like that made you famous and rich. I know, it's, it's so hard. Lord evidently dislikes the song Royals. Does she have other famous songs? She must. But to me, if you ask me, name one song by Lord, the only one I could think of is Royals, and she doesn't like it. She says it's a relic. She called herself naive when she wrote it. Huh. Kelly Clarkson has a couple that she doesn't like. Breakaway, maybe not one of her best. Then A Moment Like This, which was her American Idol winning song. I guess she doesn't care for that. I'm not sure if that was written for her. She called it her least favorite of her songs. I mean, it was just sort of a breakout. Then you've got Avril Lavigne. Remember Avril Lavigne? She didn't really... She hasn't really done much in a while, at least publicly. I haven't seen much from her. But her one song that I can think of is complicated. And I won't, and I can't, and I don't, whatever the lyrics are. Just sort of this angsty, whining song. She hates it. She does perform it because the fans like it, she says. I mean, of course, like, if you go to an Avril Lavigne concert, if you're going to pay money, does she do concerts? I don't even know. If you pay money to go see Avril Lavigne perform and she doesn't play her one song, you're going to have a little riot, a mini riot of the tens of people who wanted to hear that song. That was all over the radio for a long time. Nicki Minaj, so this was disappointing to me because I think one of Nicki Minaj's greatest hot jams was Starships. She apparently cannot stand the song, doesn't know why she sang the song. It's good. It is a good song. I don't know what that's about. And then, last but not least, Zane, who is the member who left One Direction first. He basically says he dislikes all of the songs that One Direction did, calling it generic pop. It is generic pop. It's very catchy. He wouldn't have a solo career or really much of anything if not for the... That's the thing. I feel like you've got to at least have an appreciation for what got you here. Like, no one would have heard of Zayn if he wasn't part of One Direction, and One Direction was a huge commercial success because people liked their music. I know that he didn't leave on great terms, apparently, from the band, but just to dump all over 
the full catalog of your boy band, it just seems ungrateful to me. Not just to your fellow bandmates, but to the fans that brought you to the point where you could splinter off and have a solo career, such as it exists for him at this point. I know he's, yeah, he's had a few songs, I think, that I can think of. Anyway, those are some of the songs on this whole list. You can check it out at BuzzFeed. I don't often recommend BuzzFeed listicles, but this one I, I could not look away. I was curious, because it is interesting. I've also heard that Billy Joel gets a little tired of singing Piano Man, because right? it's like constantly... I know people who play at piano bars, for example, they get tired of playing Piano Man. It's like over and over again, constantly requested. But he does it. Billy knows what the people want. At a Billy Joel concert, he's not going to say, hey, listen to my new stuff. He might throw in a tiny bit here or there. He's going to play the hits. People are going to have a good time. They know exactly what they're going to hear. These were monster hits at the time. They have a lot of legs. They've lasted in terms of popularity. The place is packed. He's not messing around. He's not looking down his nose at his own music. He'll even play. I've seen him play. We didn't start the fire, even though he hates it, (laughs) because people want to hear it. Christine, were you surprised by any of these? I wasn't surprised by the Billy Joel one because I had read that. Uh, He actually messes We Didn't Start the Fire Up a lot. I've had friends that have oh the, heard yeah, him the lyrics the song. Yes, he he really messes that up. I listened to him once on Stern, and you know he downplays a lot of his songs. They they don't what you think has so much meaning behind his songs. They really don't have a lot of meaning behind. So that was just a little bit of a disappointment. I once went to a very intimate gathering. Uh, of huge fans of Phil Collins, and he sang some of his songs, and he told us that he really didn't enjoy singing Sue Sue Studio, and the word actually meant nothing, and he just needed to figure out a hit, and he thought that sounded okay. And my heart crushed into many, many little pieces. So I wish these artists wouldn't say they don't like performing their hit songs, because that's just a slap Yeah, because what, if, what if, you're a, if you're a mega fan... And you Mm -hmm. find out that the person that you idolize and your favorite song they hate, does it take some of the joy out of the fan experience? Maybe, but also, I mean, it's it's their art, right? It's their stuff. They're allowed to comment on it. But I'm sorry that Phil Collins' obsessives like yourself had a little sad moment there. What's the what's the song again? Studio. Sue Sue Studio. I can't believe you don't know that song. I don't. I, I don't know what that is, and I don't care to find out, quite frankly. Oh, but anyway, I, I thought it was interesting. And again, like some of these people, I almost want to interview them specifically about their objections. How can Miley Cyrus hate Party in the USA? It's such an instantly likable song. right? How can Avril Lavigne say, oh, I don't like complicated? You're, her whole thing... Her whole career was around complicated. I mean, she might have one or two other songs that are eluding me at the moment, but that was her song that put her on the map. I just feel like uh-huh. to, to be mad about it or kind of bitter about it, it's just, I don't know. It seems odd to me. It, it would kind of be like if, if someone stopped you, say, somewhere and be like, oh, guy, Benson, I love you. Like, I really enjoy listening to you on the radio. And you're like, ugh, I despise politics. 
can't stand it. <laughs> I don't even know why. Or they're like, I they're bother. like, we love, we love woke tales. I'm like, boy, I hate woke. In fact, do we have the woke tales song? Woke tales. Oh, it's so good, right? I would never be like, oh, I hate it. We do it because we have to. Takes a big, Please. angry, like, draw, drag on a cigarette, flicks it, and walks away. No. Like, I, I do the stuff on the show because I enjoy it. Anyway, but look, artists are often more sort of temperamental, mercurial. They're allowed to have, especially, that's the thing. Billy Joel, if you have dozens of hits... It's okay to not love every single one of them and occasionally say so. If you have roughly one hit or two, to turn your back on one or both of them strikes me as a strange choice. But, hey, free country. We got to go. It's Friday, meaning it's a party in the USA. From Austin, Texas, I'm Guy Benson. Have a great weekend. Back here on Monday. Should be back home in the swamp. We'll talk to you then. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. This is Jimmy Fallon inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.